where it saves. Oh, we're recording. All right. All right, we're good. All righty. Hopefully our audio quality is uh, pristine. Yeah. Yeah, it will be. Okay. All right, so where should we start? Should we introduce the subject? Yeah, so we're going to talk about Baruch Spinoza, a philosopher from Portugal in the 1600s. Anything else you'd like to add about him? Oh, man. Portugal the man, right? Yeah. He, Baruch Spinoza, he was like, he was born Jewish in Portugal. He was a big smarty pants. He like went and studied a bunch of stuff and he kind of did a little bit of writing while he was alive that was not well received and he had to get out of town. And so he was, he was kind of like a, a misunderstood genius, right? Yeah. He, he wrote something saying that like, I'm tired of having to listen to priest and listening. I'm tired of listening to God and I just want to like not do that anymore. And so they were like, they're like no being in Portugal anymore. So they go and he, he moves to Amsterdam where like nobody cares. And, and instead of uh, like publishing anything, he just wrote it all down and then he died. And then everybody else read it after he died. Do we know, do we know what time this occurred at? Was this like 1700s, 1600s, 1500s? 1600s, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Spain, Spain was like very, uh, I don't know, very, very strongly religious, very zealous back then. Right. Uh, Uh, Portugal, basically Portugal, Spain's little bitch, right? Basically. Yeah, yeah, Portugal, like, should just be another state in Spain, but they decided to be their own country instead. Right. They should all be speaking with lisps, but they're not. Exactly. I think that's just Catalonia, but I'm not sure. Catalonia. Spinoza lived to be 45 years old. He died in 1677, born in 1632. Okay. So do we we know much about his, like, uh, his childhood, his youth? Uh, let's see. Wikipedia. Oh, I mean, I know he grew up Jewish. He was a Portuguese Jew, so there's Sephardic Jews, which are like a little bit different. I don't know how from the Ashkenazi. Um, he, I think he grew up kind of during the Inquisitions and, you know, had to, you know, he had people coming up to him being like, hey, do you want to eat this bacon? And he was like, no. And then they'd be like, you're a Jew. So he'd get in trouble. Oh, I can't laugh at that. Damn. Yeah. No laughing at that. That was a factual historical statement. No, I think that's how it went. At least in, um, you ever read Candide by Voltaire? I have not. That's the way he described the Inquisitions. Like some dude would just come up to you and offer you bacon. And if you didn't eat it, then you would go to prison for being a Jew. Damn. Tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Tricky sons of bitches. Man, so Baruch, he was a he was a pretty humble humble man, right? He was like a lens grinder. Yep, that was all he did. He didn't even marry or anything. He just ground lens. Oh, he was never married. Do we do we know which way uh, he was oriented? <laughs> we know his pronouns. I don't know. Let me check his Wikipedia page. Probably not. He could have been. He was probably oriented towards grinding glass. 
that yeah, was that was, that was his uh, one love. His release. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he probably was just super awkward and, like, not very good with the ladies and got struck down a lot. Right. Because, you know, so, he – he wasn't like a, he wasn't like the heretics of his time, like Martin Luther, who just came out and just started saying stuff, and then like everybody tried to kill him and they couldn't. <laughs> he, he knew that he was going to be toast if he ever said a word, so he just kept quiet until. I wonder. I wonder why that was. Why did Why did Martin Luther get to pull off the ninety five theses without being struck down, and uh, Baruch was just like told no. Martin Luther would have, like, fist-fought everybody that, like, came up to him and, like, tried to take him away. That's the type Uh, of thing he was. Was Baruch kind of, like, a a spindly, like, more feeble type person? Yeah, he, like, probably, like, had an inhaler and, you know, like, (laughs) was made, you know, glass bones, paper skin, that sort of thing. Not a, he was by no means a, a a brawler. See, that's what he was missing. That's what his repertoire, his game was missing. He had the he had the mental game on lock. Or at least he came up with some really creative original stuff, which maybe we'll get into in a bit. But like I think like what he was missing was probably the brawler type attitude. Yeah, like the he, willingness he, the willingness to burn someone's house down to prove his point. Exactly. He should have been reading Plato's Republic, where Plato said, if you want to be smart, you also gotta be captain of the football team. You can't just be out there, you know, being a big old sissy if you're gonna if you want anybody to read your philosophy. That's right. You gotta you gotta gotta cram philosophy down someone's throat. Exactly. You've gotta punch it into their brain. That's what I think the UFC is all about, actually. I think the UFC, they're actually all philosophers and we we just don't catch on to this because we're very lowbrow watching UFC, but they're, yeah. they're, when they're choking each other out, they're whispering in their ear. You know, they're they're whispering their theses. Their uh... Khabib is a Dostoevsky like like junkie. Just knows everything that Dostoevsky has wrote. <laughs> no, he's got. Not only does he know, but he's got his own. He's got his own views. He's got his original takes. Oh, he's got criticisms of <laughs> the philosophical fathers. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Conor McGregor. He's got, he's got his own. He's got his own aesthetics, his own epistemology. You know. Ooh, I like it. What do you? Who do you think Conor McGregor would uh, would endorse philosophically? Oh, he's he seems very stoic. I think like a Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. Do you know? He's do you know very. They say. What's up? You know. You know the philosopher Marquis de Sade? I don't. He was uh, the guy who originated the word sadist. He was like really okay. into like being choked and spanked. Right. Was it? Say, does it so was there was there another philosopher who was like Marquis de Masso, de Masochism? Uh, yeah, that was probably the one spanking him every day. <laughs> they all they both had they're, their own separate writings. It's like they weren't king philosophers; dang. they were buddy philosophers. <laughs> yeah, man, the French are weird. Oh man. But anyway, I did not, I did yeah. not know Desade was the origin of sadism. Yep, yep. His uh, famous phrase that uh, people often repeat was "cleave me in twain." That makes sense. I mean, I, I, I totally, I totally get in that. Half. Yeah, Which and I think different. that's, and I think that that like links back into Baruch because I think Baruch 
was really into uh, to bottoming, right? Like he wanted to get split in half. <laughs> I don't think he wanted to. I think he just. Uh, I think he was just kind of like a worm, you know? Like he just kept crawling and it kept working, like they said. Oh, he was a, he was a survivor. He couldn't. He couldn't be killed. He was like, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't have the physical strength to overwhelm you, but you're not gonna, you're not gonna kill me. Exactly. I'm indefatigable. Indefatigable. Exactly. So he was just uh, out there, just you know, writing his ideas down. And then when he di- he, had, he had like some homies that like, when he's like, as soon as I die, release all of this. And he only really released like they released one big paper that he wrote. Did you do you know what it's called? Tell me. It's called. I, I let me let me state that. Of course, I know what it is. But <laughs> but you tell me. But you tell me. He wrote a paper, a book called The Ethic. I think. Ethics, the ethics, all right. And in the ethics, he was trying to, he was trying to mathematically prove the existence of God, the exist, the lack of free will, the, and like how we should live our lives, like in a mathematical form. Damn. So he was trying to say that we don't have free will, but we should live our lives willfully in a certain way. Uh, his ethics, I don't really quite understand, but he like, he basically said, he basically started from God and he worked his way all the way down through to how we should live our daily lives through a series of premises and conclusions and axioms and stuff like that. It's a, it's a lofty, it's like a tall drink of water. And, uh, yeah, the first time I read it, I was, you know, 20 years old and I was like this is it this is everything he gave me a logical reason for how i should feel and why you know nothing matters and this is the best thing ever yeah i think uh one of the things that we've talked about before like a long well of course a long time ago when you used to live in unnamed location where i'm at right now yeah uh, we, we talked about his like religious views about how like god was everything yeah like the universe was god that that's what i like i've got that marked in my book so okay so he lays it out in premises and conclusions okay so actually they're laid out in definitions right here so his definition of god to understand spinoza's view of god here are there's like eight points listed here that i'm gonna i'm gonna read to you all right so the first one good because i can't read so (laughs) so to him a substance is God, right? So, by cause of itself, I understand that whose essence involves existence or that whose nature cannot be conceived except as existing. All right? You follow that? So, by cause of itself, an essence involves existence. So, something exists if you cannot conceive of it as without existing right so like the very nature of god you can't conceive of god as not existing i guess Uh, i'm gonna we're completely butchering this if anybody ever listens to this that knows philosophy no this is this is actually better than what you're gonna learn at oxford or (laughs) wherever you're learning about this this is better um and you should you should listen to us all right all right definition number two The thing that is said to be infinite in its own kind that cannot be limited by another of the same nature. All right, so something is infinite 
if it cannot be limited by something of the same nature, okay? The, the third definition, by substance, I understand what is in itself and conceived through itself. That whose concept does not require the concept of another thing from which it must be formed. So that's, that's very important to his philosophy. So, so that's like, that's like uh, his defense of the turtles all the way down attack, right? Like you can't be like infinite wise or where did that come from? Like, yeah. So, so a substance doesn't depend on anything else for its existence. Mm-hmm. So, so like, let's say what exists outside of everything else? Nothing, right? Right. So, so he would say all of physical matter is a substance, a single substance, right? Mm-hmm. And then for def- definition, by attribute, I understand what the intellect perceives of a substance as constituting its essence. So whatever we perceive of a substance is that substance's essence. And the fifth definition, he describes a mode. I understand the modifications of a substance of which another through which it is conceived. So that is basically everything you see are modes of the one substance, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where we get the idea that God is like everything. Absolutely infinite. Everything is God because, and everything that we see is part of the essence of God, but the mode different modes of god right right so when you like kill an animal you're killing part of god yeah and if you if you service a if you service uh a random person you're servicing god exactly so you know on my way to class one day in lexington i was thinking what is are we the, talking lexington massachusetts lexington kentucky i was at the university of kentucky and I was thinking about how everything is God. I'm like, all right, I'm a spinacist now. Everything is God. And I was like looking at the sidewalk, like this is God. Looking at the street, <laughs> this is God. And I started thinking about like, you know, everything is God. And I even thought, hey, man, my pubes are God. <laughs> and, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> but maybe it is. <laughs> According to Spinoza. But <clears throat> I wish uh, maybe maybe Spinoza did cover it in his eight uh, in his eight principles, but maybe I just didn't catch it. But like the idea of where did like everything come from? Like where did mass come from? Like where did the matter that makes us up come from? Like originally, like it had to come from somewhere, right? Yeah, that was like one of his main questions for writing the ethics was why does anything exist? which has always been one of my questions. So I'm sure he's got more insight on it than I do. He, he thought like everything happened, everything that happened was an effect of an original cause, right? So, so like, yeah, basically like we are sitting here talking because something caused us to sit here and talk and we have no. So like determinism kind of. Yeah, exactly. We have no free will. We can't help but be here talking about Calvinist. He's a Calvinist. He was a, he was a Jewish Calvinist. Before Calvin ever existed. Well, yeah, actually he was living in Amsterdam, which was like the Mecca of Calvinism. 
So maybe he picked up some of those. And he, pre- he preceded Calvin, right? No. No, he did not. No? No. Oh, okay. I think they were contemporaries. Okay. But, yeah. So he would argue, I think, that the very first cause, I guess, was like pure substance, all in one mode, God, that busted into everything. Exactly. Exactly. The, the Big Bang, right? The Big Bang. It should really be called the Big Bust, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you, mean, should, you should write into like, um, who's the Neil deGrasse Tyson and tell him. Yeah, the, no the Smithsonian. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the Big Bang anymore, you guys. It's the Big Bust. <laughs> oh, man. I can't believe I just made Professor Jordan Stevens laugh like that. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, they probably listen to you, especially in these days. You're like, they like want some clickbait, you know? Like nobody watches the Smithsonian's YouTube videos. Just gotta, just gotta like come out with a really like emotional and like, I don't like sociopathic argument. Like just be really convinced that I'm right and everyone else is wrong, and they'll believe me. Exactly. <laughs> Only I am good. My opinion is. But right. maybe it's like all just branding. Like maybe science just has a branding problem. Like like it's just really lame because they don't like give their stuff good names. You know, like the big. Right. That's, the big well, that's like that's like the machine learning statistics thing. Like even statistics, you could argue is just math. Like it, it, you just rebrand like synthetic biology. Like the idea of turning bacteria into factories to make us chemicals and drugs and stuff like that like really that's just molecular biology with a new brand like science kind of just rebrands itself all the time yeah but all that stuff is lame like instead of calling it photosynthesis they should call it sun sucking man and then all Dude, the kids would want to do it what should what should they call systems ecology uh i forget what that was Find <laughs> me I, I don't know. I mean, you're the professor. I'm not a professor. You're Professor you're, Jordan Stevens. You're a you're a PhD student. I'm. Whoa, whoa! You can't be giving away personal info like that. Oh my god. I'm a I'm a blue collar truck mechanic that lives in Ohio. No, you're not. You are. Yes, I am. Not. For for the purpose of this podcast, everyone, I live in Canton, Ohio, uh, home of the of the football hall of fame. And uh, I'm a truck mechanic, and I take great pride in my work. Why are you lying to all these good people? Do you think I would be wearing a denim Dickies shirt if I were not a truck mechanic? Uh, I couldn't tell you. All right, so what a, yeah, let's talk about Spinoza again. All right, because I've marked all the, I read all 15 pages of my little Spinoza book. Mm-hmm. Where, where, where I want to know, did he that? die? Did he die a virgin? You know, he should have wrote that down in his, in his book. Like the last line was like, I got laid two days before I died at the age of 45. <laughs> I was, see, see, now that's like a branding thing right there. Like he could have branded himself celibate. Like it was purposeful. He was just so dedicated and pure and not needing of, worldly pleasures that he was celibate but uh i think see a lot of philosophers they were like just total dweebs and i think that's why the kids don't like philosophy you know if all philosophers were like dan bilzerian 
I think we would have a different... Wait, you're saying Dan Bilzerian is not a philosopher? I'm saying, okay, his whole lifestyle is like a philosophical choice that uh, one should take into account very seriously. <laughs> in, in which way? Just, so, just considering it in general? So give me the story of Dan Bilzerian. Tell me what uh, you know about him. I know, like, his dad was, like, involved in some sort of, like, organized crime or intelligence agency or something kind of, like, nefarious, seeming like that. It had a lot of money and, like, kind of needed to uh, launder it in some ways. So, like, Dan Bilzerian was a professional gambler that won a lot of money, and that money was most likely his dad's. And now he's just living off the interest, from what I've heard. So he, like, is, like, a hedonist. He surrounds himself with like paid for models so he's like kind of like Hugh Hefner but he's also somewhat of an entrepreneur like he runs some sort of weed dispensary out there and yeah. uh he, and he's oh he likes to cosplay like a uh, like tactical navy seal stuff like he'll do ride-alongs with like border patrol or like stuff like that and yeah so his aesthetic is guns women and money and drugs yeah exactly like, all, all under a legal umbrella yeah, his his father loved him very much and started a trust fund in his name that he can live off of for the rest of his life. That he mm-hmm. and he just supplements that trust fund through uh, weed and assault rifles yeah. on Instagram. That's uh, actually like I don't know, like it's very beautiful. Like why? Like what do you think? Uh, do you think he's happy? Uh, is anyone happy? I'm pretty happy. That's good. Yeah, I don't know. I have a hard time believing he is, but uh, he might be. I don't think he has any friends. I think I think that's his uh, his main thing. Like on Instagram, it's just always like the same two models and an mm-hmm. AR fifteen. Like I think he owns like one AR and has like two girls that are willing to get on mm-hmm. his Instagram page. And then, right. but those two girls, those two girls, if Baruch was right, are God. So he's always surrounded by God, as are we right now. I, yeah. Yeah. As are our as are our listeners, by listening to us, you're surrounded by God. If Baruch was right, oh, so here was here was an interesting idea I came across in my 15 minute study of Spinoza. I want I want your take on this. The mind and the body are one and the same, which is conceived now under the attribute of thought and the attribute of extension. So, so it's like, is that the dualism thing? Like, yeah, yeah, that's the old like mind-body dualist question, right? Like, mm-hmm. is our how does our mind, which is immaterial, influence our material physical body? And Spinoza said they're the same thing because everything is the same thing. They're just two attributes of the one substance. I think a lot of the other like philosophies or even some religions like take the opposite stance, right? Like like buddhism is like the de- the detachment of your consciousness from like you your physical know. reality yeah and uh like i remember like when i was playing college football you know in ohio um going through like team workouts and like it was sucking and i, I my body was hurting and i was like well i can just detach from this like this pain my body is feeling is not like affecting my men- like my mental pain so but at the same time it really was hurting my brain so <laughs> It, it was it was hurting so i i think i'm more of a baruch guy that like the the physical pain you feel is like real mental pain too ah so then you would say 
that. I also, I should add, I had a, a strength coach who said that cramps were mental. It was psychological. Like not, a, not a not a physiological issue where your uh, your ion imbalance was causing your muscles to over contract. Maybe your cramps were God. That's right. I was surrounded by God. Maybe it was heresy for you to try to make your cramps go away. I was. I should have embraced it. I should have experienced God. Yes, exactly. That and that would have made you. That would have made you a Hindu, though, right? Like the whole like immaterial like detachment from yourself. Yeah, I think that's like a lot of the Eastern religions, right? Is like detachment. Okay, so let's see. So, so he has that idea. So there is he solved the mind-body distinction, and then let's see. He solved it by saying there was no distinction. It said, "Yeah, they're the same thing. They're just two attributes." Uh, say, y'all, did he did he basically say, "Hey, everyone, it's not that deep." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it ain't that deep. Oh, and then here's his uh, here's his hot take on free will. Men are mistaken in thinking themselves free, and this opinion depends on this alone, that they are conscious of their actions and ignorant of the causes by which they are determined. This, therefore, is their idea of liberty, that they should know no cause of their actions. But when they say that human actions depend on the will, these are words of which they have no idea. For none of them know what is will, and how it moves the body. Those who boast otherwise and feign, and feign dwellings and habitations of the soul provoke either laughter or disgust. So he's coming for you, church. Right? <laughs> like he said that, how do I even describe it? Like anything that we don't know is, like anything that we can't explain, we say it's free will, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, I think it's one of those things where like, we can only comprehend so many factors at one time. Exactly. So we, anything past what we can comprehend, we ascribe to free will. If you're trying to do a linear regression to determine why something is the way it is. Mm-hmm. We, we could probably handle like maybe four factors, five factors. Exactly. There's not enough degrees of freedom. Whereas a computer uh-huh. could handle like thousands. See, I don't know anything about computers. I don't, I don't really trust them. I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just a, a matter of like how much memory they have how much compute they have but they Wait, can so consider how, how does a computer get that many degrees of freedom to predict something like that uh well degrees of freedom is like a term used for explaining how many factors are being considered in a model so it's not like yeah. the computer has degrees of freedom the computer has ram which is it's like yeah memory that it can hold the data in but how can a computer do determine what is in a like like the output of a model if mm-hmm. there's not enough degrees of freedom from the beginning? Like why does a computer doing it versus a person make it more predictive? Uh, so like a computer basically can just handle more data if it has enough RAM. So it can handle more data and not just more data, but more input variables. So those are what you would call factors. Oh, and that's where the degrees of freedom would come yeah. from. Is the more yeah, and it's just, they, they can hold more in memory than we can at a time. I see, I see. Yeah. So, so yeah, Spinoza said that basically 
if you even think he, – he really came out strongly against, uh, you know, liberty, provoke either laughter or disgust. What do you think of that? Do you think that's true? Do you buy it? Mm, this is still the free will thing? Yeah. I don't know. Like, like I think, uh, I think there's some modern research that would probably shed some more light on it that I'm unaware of. But I remember previously we had seen that article that had uh, mentioned like people who believe in free will are like less likely to be criminals or less likely to do bad things or something like that. Yeah. And like for a while that had convinced me that there was free will. Like people who believe in it will just behave better. But then I thought like maybe people who are predisposed like genetically or environmentally to believe in free will just happen to coincide with the people who behave better. So it's not from their own doing or their belief in free will, but just like they're predisposed to be better anyways, and also predisposed to believe in free will. Yeah. Maybe believing in free will is just another variable that uh, people have without any sense. That's out of their control. And, yeah. Yeah. Mostly out of there, yeah. And then you get the whole, like, uh, you know, it's hard to th- say that something's 100% within or without of your control. So you always got to talk in, like, confidence intervals, like, you know, well, it's between 60 and 80% out of your control or something like that. But, yeah, yeah. So he, so one of his ideas that's, like, super outdated to me is the idea of cause and effect, you know, because statistically, you know, it's really hard to prove causation right like you can say we're 95 percent sure something is causing this but we can never be 100 percent sure and spinoza views everything in a very simplistic cause and effect something yeah, which so he's, he's less of a statistician and more of a mechanist so like molecular biology like there's a lot of experiments where they'll do a gene knockout and then they'll notice that the phenotype or the behavior uh completely changes so it'll be like absence presence and they'll grade it as one or zero like yes we see this phenotype or no we don't see it uh so they're very binary just like uh baruch spinoza was so he's kind of more mechanistic than like statistical where statistical has like more of more of a gray it's not black and white so he was you know and I guess that kind of falls in line with his like career. Like he was like a mechanist, right? Like he, he grinded lenses. Like He ground lenses so people could see. Right. He also Very did mechanical. like light experiments, I think. He was kind of a scientist too. Kind of an interesting guy. He was probably just really bored. I wonder if he, uh, I wonder if he ever had any interactions with like any of the astronomers, like doing like looking glass lenses. Oh, there was... Um... No, no, no. He... He was involved in, like, the philosophical, like, you know, scene there in Amsterdam. He was actually, like, a favorite. And, in fact, I think the religious authorities got on him even in Amsterdam. But he was kind of, like, underground the man, you know. Right. So he was, like, excommunicated from the Jewish community. Yep. Then he went to Amsterdam, which I'm assuming was more of a Christian community. Yeah, they're a little, they were more tolerant. Amsterdam is historically, anytime you have like a bad take on something and everyone wants to kill you, you go to Amsterdam. Like historically, that's what you do. And I think to this day, you can still do that. Um, Why didn't Julian Assange go there? Yeah, I don't know. I think he just liked Columbia better. 
I think <laughs> he's just a big fan of uh, fresh bacon. He did. He didn't like the cold. He preferred uh, dictatorships. Yes. yes. Let's see. So that's going to be. Uh, I guess I won't name your company, but uh, that's where is that where they send the employees that have too hot of takes to their branch in uh, the Netherlands. Near yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. They send they send them there so that they uh, they have to do all the work that. Uh, the EU uh, covered and protected employees. <laughs> if their if their conspiracy theories get too strong, they get sent there. Exactly. So, so yeah, he. What were we just talking about? We were talking about how like Baruch was kind of like the man, like in the underground philosophy scene in Amsterdam, which is kind of cool to think that they had like a scene back in the day. Like that was like, like what is skateboarding or graffiti art or something of that nature now like back then people just like saying yeah this is what i think like and that was like really cool like super rad yeah you couldn't like, do that out in the open or else somebody would like damn. like you you could say like you could say like hey we've got no free will and that was like doing a kickflip yeah yeah it was so like just the just the free exchange of ideas was uh not allowed until uh I guess here lately. Right. Yeah. So Baruch's like no free will was a kickflip, but I think Baruch's like God is everything. That was his like, his like vert ramp, like takeoff with like a, with like a, whatever, five twenty something Ollie. I don't yeah, know. That was his, uh, that was his big take. And he thought, you know, facts don't care about your feelings, like logic overall. Oh, he was one of those guys. Yeah. 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 We can, we can logically prove, that God. So he decided God is everything, but also that facts don't care about your feelings. Exactly. He was the original Ben Shapiro. And, really? uh, oh, wow. In more ways than one. Wow. I just yeah. thought. <laughs> and uh, yeah, everybody, everybody took a shot at him because, you know, he tried to solve all the philosophical questions in one big book. And, he, and, he, and of course, he published it after he died. So he didn't have to deal with any of his haters, right? So that was pretty that, smart. That, that was, was his smart. whole his whole MO was just uh, not having to deal with haters. So that's why he went to Amsterdam. That's why he didn't become a philosopher until after he died. He just didn't want anybody to bother him. And, I get that. And yeah, well, I like, hundred years. I like the whole years, not dealing with haters thing. The whole angle yeah, there. Like, he just he just wanted to grind lenses, man. And and what he what he did a hundred years after he died a famous philosopher named Hume came after him saying that you cannot prove cause and effect. Now that was the dude who like had his portrait painted after he took a shower, right? Like he had like a towel wrapped around his head. Like he had some wet hair. I have no idea. You, I don't, I don't know what Hume's fit was. I know, I know Barclay, his biggest competitor was a bishop, Mm -hmm. but Hume, uh, Hume was also a weird guy, but he said, you know, you can never prove causalities just because you see smoke doesn't mean there's a fire. And I think those ideas have been preserved in modern day statistics. So that's my hot take. So I think Spinoza was definitely causality. Right. Yeah, exactly. Causality. Do you think causality? What? And you so you don't think you can prove causality either. No, you can't. Do you, you think know. you can do you think you can uh provide useful inference based upon probability like 90% of the time smoke means fire? Yeah, exactly. I totally agree okay. with that. But you just don't want to commit to absolutes. Absolute causality can never be proven. Okay. 
That's my yeah, fair enough. Onward. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, at first I liked Spinoza when I was young, but now that I'm older and wiser, I think I agree with Nietzsche. On <laughs> you think you think Nietzsche is older and wiser? That's like the the taste of an older and wiser person. Maybe maybe I'm just like an adolescent because I know like a lot of teenage like stoners like Nietzsche, but Nietzsche said that Spinoza. All right, he came for Spinoza 200 years after Spinoza died and said that all his ideas are hocus pocus in mathematical form. So Nietzsche didn't like math. Nietzsche did not like math and he didn't like no hocus pocus. He liked he liked <laughs> to hurt himself. <laughs> I don't know. This this makes Nietzsche sound like uh, a lot of people I see on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, just a glutton for punishment. That and like uh that and like uh you know math math isn't real like but also I guess philosophical math might be different from real math. Yeah, I don't know what Nietzsche thought about math. He probably didn't like it. Probably. I don't, I don't know. not in his later years. Nietzsche just like as someone who is not educated in philosophy, uh since I'm a truck mechanic in Ohio, um Nietzsche just strikes me as like the intro to ethics. Like uh, you know, Nietzsche Nietzsche four twenty sixty nine has just entered the chat. Like, like something someone like myself would become enamored with without really understanding it. Yeah, yeah, Nietzsche. I don't think anybody really understands Nietzsche, and especially me. But he just says a lot of things that uh, are really inspiring. He's like a uh, he's like one of those live strong bracelets, right? Except in books. <laughs> I like that. Nietzsche, Nietzsche strong. Exactly. We should, uh, we should make a, a merch store available to, you know, our probably, you know, at minimum, I'm sure 10,000 listeners, but. I don't think know. anybody's going to listen to this. I'm just having a conversation with my homie here. Oh, you just, you just wait. I'm not, I'm not here for the listeners. You just wait. We're going to put this on Spotify and then we're going to, we're going to use the, the income to buy our Texas mansions. Texas mansions because oh yeah because the the real estate market is tanking there right now right right or it has been I don't know for a while is it like that movie that you like uh thing in Texas right I know guns and horses or something what's it called oh it's a hell or high water hell or high water that's real philosophy if we if we if we wanted to have a legitimate philosophy talk that's real philosophy yeah you know what what is good what is bad like is robbing from the bank that gave your family a predatory loan to pay off the predatory loan? Is that bad? Like, well, in our current legal system, yes, but from an individual, from an individual standpoint, like those people wronged you. So I don't know, but I guess, you know, an eye for an eye leaves a whole world blind or so they say, but uh, also in the words of the great philosopher Kanye West, there's leaders and their followers, and I'd rather be a dick than a swallower. So I think they were in the right by dicking down that Midland, Texas regional bank system to pay off the predatory loan from the Midland, Texas regional bank system. Spinoza would disagree with you. He would say that. Whoa. Okay. Spinoza, you know what? He can. Never mind. I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to say it. You tell me. You tell me what he'd say. Spinoza would say that banks are just banking and and robbers are just robbing and that's all they can do. And there's nothing. What if they could be a banker and a robber then? 
I think I think I think those words are kind of the same. I think all bankers are robbers, <laughs> but maybe Ooh. not all robbers are bankers. <laughs> very very woke there. So so no matter what you do, it it was like never within your within your control. It was just yeah. meant to be. Yeah, like there I think there was like a criticism of like at least in my class when I learned about it, we we discussed the implications of his ideas on like prison and whether it's okay to like lock up people. That's what I was curious about when you're saying that. If there if there's no free will, how does that uh affect the penal system? Like can we punish people for doing what we perceive as bad things if it was out of their control? Uh, I don't think Spinoza was capable of punishing anybody. But what were his thoughts like as to how people who were capable of punishing people should act? Uh, I don't know. All I know is that Spinoza would probably give you a free pair of glasses so that you didn't hurt him. (laughs) Hopefully that would suffice. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know, philosophers, they do this. They like, they bring up all these ideas, scientists do it too. They bring up all these criticisms, all these ideas, and they don't ever offer any solutions to them. That was what I did in my master's research. I brought up a bunch of problems and then I stepped away. And I think that's the, (laughs) and then when the world, and then when the world needed you most, you disappeared. I just said to work on avocados. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that think that, right? I mean, like the Calvinist, they just, uh, they just, they just don't like you. Like if you, if you're a bad guy, you're just, they just don't like it. They just want you to go away. Right. And it's, I wonder if the people who have that mindset, like the, the no free will, like you are, like, I wonder if they like mix up these two different thought processes, which is you are who you are. Or that one action you just took right now at this point in time was out of your control. Like, like I wonder if they have the idea that since there's no free will, if you do one bad thing, you're always going to be a bad person. Or if that one moment was out of your control and you could like redeem yourself in the future. Oh, I, I feel like having the no free will mindset would definitely bias you towards like observing one event where someone did something bad and then assuming all of their actions from there on out, we're going to be bad. Well, you see, I'm, I'm coming back to the Calvinist because, so yeah, all, all people that don't believe in free will are not Calvinist, but a lot mm-hmm. of them are, right? Mm-hmm. Calvinists have this idea called total depravity where mm-hmm. no matter what, you are just scum. Mm-hmm. And that's like, a, that's like what the Westboro Baptist believes and like nobody is good in, an, in and of themselves because we are all totally depraved individuals. So a lot of the common day free will deniers, I would say are Calvinist and probably believe in that idea. So that no one is good. Yeah, but it's also, you know, but if you don't have the religious connotations, it is like a good way to like, look at everybody, like give everybody the benefit of the doubt, right? Like, like you see somebody that's made some bad decisions and you think, you know, how were they raised? How were they, you know, treated as a kid? Maybe all of those decisions and all of those things that were said to them when they were young created who they were and you don't hold them as responsible for their Mm -hmm. actions. Right. Right. I also wonder if that would like 
cloud your judgment or like give you poor discernment too. Like, like it's definitely, I, I definitely lean more towards giving people the benefit of the doubt, but like in the business world or, or in trusting like people with your children or things of like high importance like that. Like uh, if you give people the benefit of the doubt too long, like uh, I don't know, it just seems like it would lead to you screwing yourself over hurting like people that you care about. Yeah. But, but I think, I think we're all happier giving people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. No matter less, what. less dark, uh, a less dark worldview. Yeah. Uh, you ever seen those people and they're like Facebook banner is like the world made me the monster I am and stuff like that. <laughs> they don't ever give anybody the benefit of the doubt and they're always expecting to be hurt by others. Those are the same people that like share the inspirational, like Tony Robbins videos, right? Yeah, exactly. Was he the country singer? Uh, no, <laughs> no, that's Marty Robbins. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't even know who Marty Robinson is. You know the song El Paso about uh, this guy who gets shot in front of his girlfriend in Mexico? No, I don't. Maybe that can be the name of this episode is El Paso. El Paso. El Paso and Baruch Spinoza. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's, see if, let's see if we can link El Paso to Baruch Spinoza. I don't know anything about El Paso. It's right on the border in Texas. That's where uh, a lot of like Air Force stuff goes on. Like that's where some Air Force like pre-deployment training happens. They've got a base there. They've got a bridge that like crosses from Texas to Mexico. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if you can take your bad takes to El Paso and hide from. Oh yeah. Maybe. If you're an, if you're an ideologue outlaw. Yeah, like if you say something about like uh, the Chads in Portland, Oregon. And like everyone's wanting to beat you up, like you just go to El Paso and everyone agrees with you. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure none of them would want to come to El Paso to get you. What did Chaz stand for? Uh, it stood. It stood for Chode House. No, it didn't. It stood for <laughs> something. The Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, right? Chode House Animalistic Zealots. I think it was that one actually. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, right. And then they turned into the Chop, right? The chop? Capitol Hill occupied P word. <laughs> You're gonna occupy this P word. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, El Paso. But I'm sure there's also like I don't know. I mean El Paso I met it's right on the border. You can speak English, you can speak Spanish there, and everybody okay. understands. Multicultural. Yeah. Like Amsterdam like Amsterdam. Uh, there's probably not a lot of water and canals there, but that's a, that's a secondary thing. I'm sure it's full of, both cities are full of kind, caring people. Maybe there is a Baruch Spinoza in El Paso right now. Maybe, maybe that could be us once we get our Texas mansions. I know El Paso was not the place we were considering. But... Where's, where's all the mansions at? Uh, Dallas. Dallas, okay. The the outlying suburbs around Dallas. Ooh. Oh, that's not all desert too. You can get you can have like a lawn in Dallas, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's yes, you can. Me. You can. You can have a lawn with a pool in it and a basketball court. You and can have a lawn. basketball hoop on your pool. But you see, that takes away from your lawn. See, so I w I wouldn't want a pool if it would take away from a lawn. I'm a lawn. Well, you see, it's 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 outside of my free will to uh, to deny my need for a pool. 
I, I need a pool. It, it was destined for me. It's, it's manifest destiny that I need a pool. See, I think you, you spent too much time in the deep north. And you whoa, can't, whoa, Ohio is not that far north. You can't, you can't, and I don't think you understand all the work that goes into a swimming pool. You've got to like, you got to keep that like algae from growing in it, and you got to keep the ducks out. Well, you know me, I love algae. I love that cyanobacteria. You love and that also, algae. and also, if the ducks came into my pool, that would be a great opportunity to relive the Sopranos. I could be Tony. Oh, dude, yeah, the ducks were what? They were like his family or something yeah like, his family like duck equals your wife and kids yeah 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 i remember when he killed that guy and then like a duck flew by and it was yeah. a symbol of his family leaving him <laughs> because he killed this guy yeah <laughs> what a great show that's right see i could find a, a dr melfi in texas yeah. i could have a pool with ducks and i could just just be a meme of the Sopranos. Do you think God sent those ducks to Tony Soprano to, to remind him that he had a wife and kids because he was such a big old sociopath? Mm. Yes, because everything is God. So those ducks were God. So yes, those du God sent itself through the ducks. Remember all the ghosts that followed Polly in that one episode of the Sopranos? All the people that he killed just followed. I don't him. remember that. I don't remember and that. Then he goes to his priest and he was like, Why are there ghosts following me? I'm done being a Catholic and he and he quit church. <laughs> I don't remember that. I just remember like the lead up to Polly's death and like you were trying to explain to me like I was asking if there was some sort of like tip off as to like him dying. <laughs> like I was asking you a million questions like, Does this happen? Does this happen? Does this happen? And like I, I was just trying to get you to tell me how we know that Polly died before the scene came up. And then the scene came up and a, it was a cat. Yeah. I can't even remember what it was. It was just something to do with like a cat. Yeah. There was a cat that would stare at the picture of Chrissy on the wall before he died. And then when Polly agrees to accept that one crew against his will, like Tony makes it, the cat comes and starts staring at Polly indicating that yeah. he is also a dead man. Yeah. Oh man. Do you think do you think Baruch Spinoza would be a Sopranos fan? Do you think if he lived in our time, he would have spent his free time watching the Sopranos instead of coming up with his with his ethics? Ooh. How do we know the Sopranos would have existed had Baruch Spinoza not created We don't, but in this but in this hypothetical situation it does. I think Spinoza, he probably would have, like, in today's day and age, he probably would have, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think he would have watched The Sopranos. Because, you know, that's the show that all the, like, all the smart people watch. <laughs> right, because we watched it. Exactly. So smart people watch it. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I think we've learned a lot today. I, th I think so, too. I think, uh... You know, Barack Spinoza, he was a, he was a cool dude, a cool man. Um, and just like uh, Tony Soprano was cool. That's what The Sopranos was about. It was about a bunch of cool dudes hanging out, doing cool stuff. And that's what Baruch uh, Spinoza did. And uh, that's my synopsis of today's podcast, which is unnamed at this point. All right. Sounds great. <laughs> I'm going to stop recording now.